This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you once again by No Meat Athlete. That's right, we're sponsoring our own podcast to remind you one more time about the last chance to get the popular marathon, half marathon, and 5K roadmaps before the price goes up when they're bundled together in the all-new Marathon Roadmap 2.0 due out later this month. For NMA Radio listeners only, our plant-based guides to your first marathon, half marathon, and 5K will remain available and at their current prices through Tuesday. Just go to nomeatathlete.com slash run before the end of the day Tuesday and grab yours before it's gone. And if you're on the fence because you're thinking you might upgrade to the new Marathon Roadmap 2.0, which contains all the race distance training plans, there's no need to worry. When you buy one of the original roadmaps before they're gone, you'll also get a coupon code for the exact amount you pay now, which you can apply towards the price of the full Marathon Roadmap 2.0 when it's out later this month. Get all the details about this last chance offer at nomeatathlete.com slash run. Hi, this is Hope. This is Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Meet Radio. Guess what I got to do all day yesterday, Matt? Run. No. Paddleboard. Oh, another paddleboarding day? Yeah, I spent all day out on Lake Lure. Was it the greatest day of your life again? It was so good. <laughs> it, was, it was seriously one of the most relaxing and enjoyable days I've had in a long, long time. Wow. With, with your wife, Katie? Yeah. she. We. Uh, my cousin had her birthday party, um, and they had rented a... Uh, a house, a lake house, and which had paddle boards and kayaks and the dock and all kinds of stuff, and we just hung out and floated around. And is there is there a skill to be developed with with paddleboarding? You just you just stand up and start paddling. You know, it requires a little skill for balance, I guess. But um, you, no. you have maybe big falls in the water. I had a couple, had a couple falls while. when when a boat would go by and then produce some wake, you know, and <laughs> yeah. like bouncing yeah. up and down. And and Katie and I got pretty good where she would sit in the front. And I could paddle around with her on the boat or on the paddleboard. Okay. Um, and so, but that was you know you're a lot less balanced when there's someone else jumping around. Ah, gotcha. But it was fun. It was so good. I'll, I'll have to try that one day. It doesn't sound as terrible as I thought. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was just like I feel like kayaking. People are probably gonna hate this because people probably love kayaking, but <laughs> kayaking seems like just so boring that you would get out in the lake and then have to get back and like I don't know, it's just hard work. But, yeah, but maybe this is more relaxing than that. Maybe you glide a little nicer. You, it's or for, maybe kayaking is not boring. Maybe kayaking is fun. What I like about it versus kayaking is that it does require a little more. I mean, you you have to be a little more actively engaged. You're not just sitting there. Uh-huh. You know? I think that's what I like about it. A little core work. A little core work. I am a little sore today. I'm not gonna yeah. lie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good. Well, you got a little cross training then. I know. It was so good. Made me even more excited about the paddleboard fund that I've started. <laughs> Right, the paddleboard. Saving up for that paddleboard. Good. All right. Donation button, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> if you want to donate, you can. <laughs> My PayPal is. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're talking today about running form, and we're doing it from the perspective of a non-running geek, which I don't. I don't consider any of us to be running geeks. I mean, you're super into running. I also enjoy running as a hobby. Um, but neither of us is like Jason Fitzgerald geeky, where we you know read all the articles about it and everything. I mean, you're even a coach, and you, you but you, you somehow avoid that level of geekery. I think. Yeah, he's 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 the king of the geeks. I think. Yeah, you're like the outdoors bearded guy who just, <laughs> just goes out and runs and drinks beer. Yeah, <laughs> that's your big selling point as a coach, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but 
but I think what we have in common is is that you know you have that that uh, I don't know particular type of interest in running that isn't that Jason Fitzgerald level of technical caring, right. mm-hmm. uh, and I, my approach to it has sort of been you know kind of that eighty twenty philosophy. Not uh, probably more than that because I I've read my good share of running books, but trying really hard to not not have a thousand running form keys that I that I think you need to have in order to run effectively, right? I try to keep, when people ask me that, I try to keep that number as low as I possibly can. And often I just give one hint or one tip, which is that the 180 steps per minute thing, which we will expand upon here because people always ask questions about that. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I can think of three or four things that are really valuable. I think that's the most important, but I don't think you need more than four things. If you read a running book about form, you will find these same four principles basically in almost every form approach there is in running so i just like having to think about very few things and for me that's when running is fun it's because it's not a complicated it's a very simple thing that's why i've never been into like road biking or something where it just suddenly feels like all this stuff you need to do and learn to maintain your bike and all this preparation running for its simplicity is is really nice and, and a special thing and i enjoy it for that so i don't like it getting too geeky really I hear that. Yeah, I, I totally. Uh, to me, the appeal, like, like just like for you, is the simplicity of, of it, and that's you know that's what draws me out to the trails too. Is that primitive kind of just moving quickly through the woods thing, um, and and as soon as you start adding in all these rules and all these, you know, all the structure around your form and everything like that, it gets more complicated and and takes out some of that that natural enjoyment. For me and for you, and but for some people, they you know they really crave that. But but I do think, and we both agree that there are certain key running form points that every runner should should follow to continue to be injury free and and running efficiently and effectively. Yep. Which is what we want to talk about today. Yeah, and as I mentioned, the the biggest one of those, I don't know if this is true for you, Doug, but for me, the biggest one is the 180 steps per minute thing. Uh, the reason I like that so much is because I think if you can get that to happen then so much else about your form just kind of falls into place. And Scott right. Jurek has said this as well. This isn't my phrase, uh, but he, he said the exact same thing. And the way I look at it, we've talked a little bit about in your trail running episode, and we, we can do that again, but about how trail running, uh, running with minimal shoes, or deliberately taking 180 steps per minute, all kind of get you to a similar place form-wise, in that, in that you're you're not taking the exact same gigantic stride every time all those things prevent you from taking a really long stride right and at the core of that to me is what i think is at the core of good running form and that is basically the idea of keeping your weight over your feet uh people i think this we had this whole minimalist craze when born to run inspired all the barefoot runners and everything that's kind of past now but people during that i mean we with the barefoot shoes there was plenty of good data from Harvard and other places that said that when you when you run with modern running shoes on, there is a significant amount of impact that goes up your leg that doesn't happen when you run without those shoes on. So it seemed that it was better for that reason. Um, however, it seemed also that lots and lots of minimalist runners got injured, particularly with foot injuries. And what I've always suspected was the problem, what people did wrong, is that they treated heel striking like the main problem to be fixed and it was that if i can keep my exact same running stride but just manage to land on my midfoot instead of my heel then i'm going to become injury free 
And I think that's the wrong approach. I think with that, that's kind of like applying a Band-Aid to fix, I don't know, a broken leg or something that doesn't, that's not the problem. That's not the fix. You need to fix something much more internal, much more core than that. Uh, so I think that the way to get to, the way to get to midfoot striking, instead of as opposed to landing on your heel, is to keep your weight over your feet, right? So that you're not taking the long stride anymore. Uh, so that you're taking shorter, faster steps, which is the 180 minute, 180 steps per minute thing. Um, and in doing that, a natural consequence. Like if you if you try to run with your weight staying over your feet, not allowing your foot to really land like out in front of your knee it suddenly becomes pretty difficult to do an exaggerated heel strike. Like it's very easy to do when you are running like around a track at a, at a good speed with taking these long strides. So I think the way to get to midfoot striking is just to fix the other stuff first so that it happens naturally. And honestly, I think once you've, once you've increased your cadence to around 180 steps per minute, three per second, and you're keeping your weight over your feet as a result, then I think it really doesn't matter where you're striking. Like if you, if you're going to still have a heel strike at that point, then I think you probably are just a heel striker and that's kind of how it is but it's really hard to do any that's anything that's really exaggeratedly bad in that in that way of running right yeah when they when they look at and examine elite athletes and top athletes a lot of them or there's a lot of inconsistencies as to where they actually are landing their feet whether it's midfoot or or on the heel um but what is consistent is that they're not over striding and so by by shifting the weight up underneath your feet or over top of your feet and having your, your feet land at a shorter choppier stride like 170 180 steps per minute you're automatically going to reduce the risk of overstriding right exactly so and that's what we said before was that if you take your shoes off and you start running barefoot the whole underpinnings i guess of that philosophy was that when you do that to take the big stride where you land your heel really hard with your foot way out in front of you, that that hurts suddenly. You can't really do that without shoes on comfortably, like you can, unfortunately, with these big built-up modern running shoes. So once you start barefoot running, it hurts to do that, so you run in the only way that doesn't hurt, and that's to take lighter and quicker steps, which makes you then land on your midfoot. Uh, so, I mean, that's the exact same thing. And trail running, the reason we said that that gets you there as well is because because the terrain varies so much, because every step is different. You've got rocks, and you've got roots, and you've got different grades and hills and all these different things it just makes you be more cautious about your steps so most of the time you can't take the longest possible stride that you can take uh, every stride is going to be different which is that's kind of a different issue that helps you just build different muscles around your ankles which neither i guess i guess barefoot running is going to do that too but not necessarily in the same lateral way that trail running is going to do for you um, but trail running in the same way makes you take the shorter quicker lighter steps increases your turnover rate as a result so your weight stays over your feet and then you land on your heel less. So they all get you to the same place. Yeah. So if you're if you've never if this is the first time you've heard about the high cadence and you've never tried that before, how would you recommend people get into that? I mean, there are a couple ways and, and when I did this for the first time myself, it was like 2004 maybe. So there are so many better techniques now than the way I do it. The way I did it. Right. What I did back then was I found a song. And I don't know how I found out that it was, but I found a song that I liked that happened to be at 180 beats per minute, or maybe it was 60 or maybe it was 90, but it was something that I could line my steps very easily up to and make sure that I was getting three every second. So I found that song, put it on my iPod, um, my iPod shuffle back in the day, I believe. Maybe it was an iPod mini. I don't know what it was. <laughs> um, put that on and just ran around this one track at University of Maryland over and over to the exact same 
thing. And it was boring and it was really slow runs, but I just focused only on that and made sure that I did it. Um, that, that worked pretty well. I, somehow, for some reason, it sticks out of my mind these couple days when I went to this one gym and jumped on a treadmill and just stared at the clock on the treadmill because then when you're there, you can kind of safely look at a clock, which you can't really do when you're, when you're running. You can't easily look down at your watch for a long period of time. But on a treadmill, I could just stare at these red numbers changing every second, and I could make sure that I was lining up three steps every single time. So if when the second, if, if the, the clock said one second on it, and my left foot landed at that point, then I would make sure that it would go right, left, and then when the clock struck two seconds, my right foot would be landing. So, so your foot, your alternate foot is going to land every second if you're taking three steps per second, if that makes sense. Yep. Okay. Uh, so that was what I did. I did that for a couple 20-minute runs, and really that was that was all it took for me. I don't know that that is the only way to do it. I mean, I know that that's not the only way to do it, but I don't know that you have to go do an entire 20- or 30-minute run like that. I've heard some other approaches where with any kind of form change, you can just go off for your run. Maybe it's a half-hour run, and you say that for a five-minute period of the run, I'm going to spend... 30 seconds out of every minute or maybe 30 seconds maybe 30 seconds out of every five minute period doing this new form and then i'll do my normal form for the other four minutes and 30 seconds and then week by week you increase the amount of time that you're spending on the new form and you kind of in that way shift out of it uh you could also do it for some of your runs you do this way and some of your runs you do your old way just kind of to avoid making a drastic change suddenly to 40 miles a week of running right and i think that's a that's an important thing that I know I do every single week, even if I'm not trying to actively adjust my form. Is I spend uh, during two of my easy runs at each week, I'll spend five minutes, maybe ten minutes, just examining my form and focusing on it a little bit and seeing where I am and and making maybe slight adjustments. But just to check in on your form regularly is a good way to notice what you're doing wrong, and then you can subconsciously start changing that after that time period is up. Yeah, I think it's a it's a hard thing to change running form, and I think subconscious is really a good way to do it. Like if you can know what the right form is, mm-hmm. and I think if you can, I just deliberate drastic changes are dangerous. I think in a lot of ways, like I said, with the people trying to suddenly land on their midfoot, right? It just messes things up. It doesn't. It's not. I don't think the way to fix things. But if you could, if you could subtly over time, if you knew that landing on your midfoot was the thing to do, and you just kind of made that your goal, you watched runners who did that, and then you just kind of kept it in your mind without forcing it to happen i think subconsciously over time you kind of become your form i think will change in that way so i think subconscious is a good way to do things um at the same time not really a very satisfying one to me you know <laughs> to think that i'm changing my form subconsciously right uh, i wouldn't really trust that that's happening so i mean form changes are hard no, no doubt about it in any sport it's a it's sure. it's breaking down what works and what that means especially like in something like golf where you, you see someone change their swing and then they're terrible for a while and you just wonder why did they do that? Tiger Woods, in particular, has has done this his whole career. Really, uh, the 180 steps thing is very similar. When you start trying to run at 180 steps per minute, it's going to feel like you're doing it wrong. And it's going to feel like suddenly you can't run. Your easy pace suddenly isn't the same easy pace anymore. You're way slower if you're mm-hmm. trying to do this. Just because, first of all, you're you're not running in the same way that you've run thousands of miles before. So your body and your brain have synced up to know how to get these miles done. And suddenly you're messing with all that. So all the different muscle recruitment and all that kind of stuff is now different because you, you're just – in your brain, you're doing a different activity. So it's not going to be as smooth, not as efficient. Uh, and aside from that, you're doing you're using different muscles. If you're taking a shorter stride than you were before, you're using different leg muscles or using leg muscles differently 
and that you're not going to have the same amount of power there. I mean, it's, it's going to take a while to build up. So I think at least three to four weeks, probably more like six to eight until you can honestly feel comfortable with running it at a higher cadence. If, you, if you've been at, I don't know, 160 and now you're trying to jump up to 175, right. uh, it's going to feel weird for a while and you're going to be slower for a while. That's just, that's how it is. Yeah. Um, but we should note that the number of steps you're taking does not necessarily reflect at all uh, the, what pace you're going right yeah people get confused about that all the time uh the pace you're going is is the product of the length of stride times your frequency of stride so when we talk about increasing your turnover rate we're also talking about taking shorter steps so that means that your pace you don't know where it's going to go if it's going to go faster or slower as it turns out you you have pretty good control over this you can take 180 steps per minute whether you're running fast or whether you're running slow it's much harder to do it when you're running slow. Like when you're, if you're on a track and you're just kind of opening up in the sprint, you're going to be getting over 180. Some people are going to be up in 200, maybe, uh, right. perhaps way more than that. So it's just, it's kind of a difficult thing to do. We're used to doing it when we run fast. We're not used to doing it when we run slow. But because so many of our miles are slow, it's important that you do it there as well. Uh, but yeah, it does not necessarily, it doesn't directly impact your pace because you're also changing your stride length at the same time. Yeah. So don't be confused there. So what else? What other form changes do you think are important? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's too much else to say about that one. It, I feel like there's always confusion about it. It's just it's just not an easy concept to quickly explain. Or if you're with someone, you can quickly show them how to do it, and they right. can kind of get the feel of it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's I think we've answered the common questions about that. The other stuff that I think is important is I I mean I think good posture is important. Like you don't want to be bending at the hips. That's not a good thing. And a lot of people misinterpret the advice that you should be leaning forward when you're running or falling forward to mean you should be bending at the hips or bending at the waist, uh, which is not what you want. You want to be bending. I mean, if you even agree, you should be bending. And some people will say you shouldn't have to even think about this, but it's more of a bend from the ankles. So your whole body is still a straight line. It's just that the the angle of your feet to that straight line body is kind of changing. Right. If that makes sense. I'm making hand motions here so, yeah. so people listening at home can cannot understand what I'm talking about. His hand is moving forward. (laughs) No, no, I think you're you're exactly right. And what I like to actually tell people, because I think bending forward or leaning forward does confuse people so much, is is instead of thinking about leaning forward, make sure you're not leaning back, right? Because it's easier for people not to to know if they're leaning back or not, you know, and then then they'll, if they're not leaning back, then they'll be straight up, which is not ideal, but that's a lot better than leaning back. And a lot of people naturally, especially when they're going downhill or something like that, are, are actually leaning back. Are actually leaning back. Hmm. Um, yeah. So start with not leaning back and then start thinking about the leaning forward and, and bending at the ankle. Yeah, but don't bend from your waist. I mean, if you're yeah. going to bend from your waist, just don't bend at all. Just don't right. I mean, don't, don't make the mistake of doing it because I think then you're way off, way, way worse off than you would have been if you had just stayed straight up and down. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so that's one, I think, Standing tall in general, not quite the same as that, but I think the idea of standing tall does sort of prevent you from bending at the waist if you're if you've got that mental cue working. Um, I mean, I don't know. People ask what to do with your arms, and I, I tend to think there's not much to to do with them. I mean, you don't want a big exaggerated arm spring arm swing unless it's a sprint or the final bit of a race when you're using your whole body. Uh, Although I mean, you're usually just wasting energy if you're moving your arms a whole lot. Right. I'd have people to, to hold your arms, keep them relaxed. Like kind of imagine if you're holding like butterflies in your fingers or if you were holding again, potato chips. Again, hand motions. Yeah, potato chips. There you go. Mm-hmm. Something that you don't want to break. Um, 
yeah, but, but you don't want squeezed fists like we were all taught. I think in like you know gym class, I just thought we were taught squeeze your squeeze fist. Squeeze your fist, or you don't want the necessarily your, your straight the straight hands that make you go super right, fast, like right, when right. you're sprinting. Yeah, I used to Willy do that Day's as a little kid. Right? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. No, I think with arms, I I think it for me it starts with the shoulders. You want to make sure your shoulders are relaxed naturally. You're when you're running, uh, you're you'll get tense up in the shoulders and start lifting your shoulders, and that just will cause a lot of stress over time and. And so if you can relax your shoulders and then relax your arms, like you said, the you don't want the exaggerated arm swing. So a good way to think about that is to make sure that your elbow never goes in front of your chest. Right. Um, so to keep it behind and then by the time it reaches the side of your chest, you want it to start swinging back. Does that make yeah. sense? Yep. I mean, I think... This is so much easier to, <laughs> to yeah. show people. We're making but... all these these movements here, but no one can see yeah. them, unfortunately, but us. <laughs> and then not to not to cross your arms too far in front of your chest right? Uh, is another one, because then you start twisting your core and, and wasting energy and, and getting yeah. your, your off balance. And... Yeah, I like that elbows one. Just not letting your elbows past the sides of you. I think I first heard that from Golden at Ultra when we were at the run. Yeah, he did he talk did about that. He did a little that, form yeah. seminar, mm-hmm. and I don't remember too many of them, but I do remember that one. And that was the first I had heard that particular advice. And then I thought about it, and like, that is kind of what I've done. And what, I, what I've always tried to tell people about arms is, like, imagine kind of like a dinosaur arms, like a T-Rex. You know how they have those little like, puny arms that are kind of out at 90 degrees from their body? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and, in, and in pro football, they call it, or any football, I guess they call it T-Rex, T-Rex arms. If, like, the, the receiver, instead of reaching out for a pass, he senses somebody's coming to hit him, so he keeps his arms in. Right. To still make and, and that's what I think you kind of want to run with is these T Rex arms, where your your top of your arms are basically against your sides and they're not they're not getting in front of your body at all. Mm-hmm. Your your arms are bent around ninety degrees so that they're kind of pointing out. But then the only movement really is back behind you and then back to your sides, so right. not not in front of you. And you're always then ready for contact too, if you exactly. So then if a big big linebacker starts comes across the middle at you, you're good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, anymore. I mean, I, I certainly don't think about it anymore when I'm running than this. Do you have any more as a yeah. coach that you, that you recommend to people? Well, definitely, um, looking forward, not down. Mm-hmm. So making sure it's natural, I think, especially when you're going uphill to, to look down at your feet and, and that then kind of folds you over a little more than you should be. So it, it has you bending at the waist and putting up, compressing your, your lungs and your, mm-hmm. your chest. Um, so look up, look forward. If you're on the trail, then they say to look about five or six feet in front of you, which is kind of down, but it's also enough to where you're not actually looking down right at your feet. Um, but if you're on the road, then you can really set your gaze several, you know, 20 feet in front of you probably. Um, and, and not have to worry too much about what you're stepping on. Um, and that'll, that'll keep your head up and that'll keep you, your, that posture better. I've heard a similar one, not one I've actually used that much. I think it was in Born to Run. There was a little short section where McDougal's talking about a running coach and the form he recommends. And there are some good form tips in there. Uh, but this one I think was that you were being, imagine that you're being pulled along by a string that's attached at your waist mm. and that you're you're moving forward that way, that that's pulling you forward. And I think that keeps your head up rather than letting you kind of crouch yourself over. Yeah, I can. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying I mean, to like feel what that would feel like, but yeah, that yeah. Makes sense, I, yeah. What I'm hearing, I, it seems sort of like a useful cue. It's it's one of those things where I'm worried to tell someone that because I just I don't think I don't know unless unless these are coming from a coach who's tested this stuff runners over and over. And if if you are interested, go look in Born to Run and find the exact quote. Um, right. But like 
if, if suddenly you just change your running with this new visualization that changes your whole body, I mean, that it could be good or it could be bad, right? right. If, if, if it's not quite right for you or something, it just, I don't know. I don't think you should just start doing all your miles of that. Right. Um, one more thing like that, and this is another one where it just scares me to recommend it, but I found it useful for changing my stride was uh, Tim Ferriss in the four-hour body. There's like a chapter or two about running there with the CrossFit endurance guy, and they're talking about not heel striking. And the the cue that he talks about, he said, most people when they're running, what they imagine is their, that their feet are kind of coming up to sort of kick their butt, basically. You imagine your feet going up behind you. But he said, if you envision instead your heel moving through a spot that's, a, I think, like 12 to 18 inches in front of where your knee is right now. So you're running along, you imagine a spot a foot or so in front of your knee, and that's where you're trying to bring that heel through. Somehow when you do that, it just changes the, the way that you start striking the ground. Again, one of those dangerous things that's sort of like applying a Band-Aid to me. Like if you're doing that and you manage to do that without actually shortening your stride or without keeping your weight over your feet, then you're asking for trouble. Right. But a lot of those, I, mean, I think if you find the right one of those cues, the one that's right for you and, and just you know makes everything fall into place, it can be great. But it's got to be careful with those things. Yeah. Yeah. Then I would just say, you know, and this kind of goes into the, to the cadence and where your weight is too, is just making sure that you're light on your feet, um, which has to do with form a little bit and that and that you're just the way you're you're landing and, and bouncing off um but being light on your feet just makes a world of difference when it comes to the impact yep. injuries and that's when i mentioned running around that track at, at college park in maryland listening to the song that was one of the, the mental cues of me was i imagine i was running on glass or something like that and just mm-hmm. didn't want to take big hard steps on it the very lightest possible steps and uh, it went along very nicely with the with the 180 steps thing it certainly the, both of those ideas are, are moving you in the same direction so that that works pretty well right but the cadence is really if there's one thing that you could work on with running in general really um doing the cadence in the smaller strides is is probably it yeah because definitely. if you can do that then you'll be running more efficiently you'll be running more injury free and and with those things come speed and power and all that stuff so yeah, and I guess one more thing to say about that cadence is that I've heard people say, first of all, that 180 is not a magic number. It's The whole thing was determined by looking at elite runners and looking at how they, just examining their stride and their gait and seeing how they did and trying to copy that. And what they found was that while the much slower runners were running at a slower cadence, the faster runners were running at this cadence around 180. But that varies from person to person. It's not like that's a magic number that you have to land exactly on and that that's right for everybody, or that there is any one number that's right for everybody. Every, I mean, your bodies are different, different heights, all kinds of different things that are going to change maybe where that number is for you. But the general idea is that most people do it way too slow, and you need to go faster. Um, but I will say that, that, I mean, that method of determining this, I think, is a lot better than just somebody's theory. Somebody saying, well, I think you should keep your weight over your feet, so therefore I'm going to tell everybody to take a faster cadence so that you take a lighter stride and do that. I mean, it's not that. They, they looked at runners and found that this is way more effective than the other way. So, right. I don't know. For, for me, that helps. I've had in my head discussions like, well, maybe that's only for elite runners. Like, maybe elite runners have a body type that works well with 180, but, but other non-elites don't. Mm-hmm. And that maybe there's a different ideal pace for them. But the results seem, just from people I've talked to and from my own experience, when you, when people switch over to this, they suddenly 
start getting injured less. And, right. you know, I think the results speak for themselves. Yeah. So I guess before we close out, we touched on this a little bit, but but do you think that the type of shoe that you wear has any effect on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it does. I think it definitely can affect your form. I don't think, like I said with the Band-Aid thing, I don't, I don't think it's good to have a shoe that's going to force you into a certain stride. Like mm-hmm. the, what were the shoes that were kind of went through a popular phase a couple years ago? I mean, I think they sort of forced you into running a certain way and i didn't run in them myself so i can't really say that they're bad but i just have heard that they really do force a certain stride upon you and i don't think that's a good thing i think unless you can force your legs to turn over faster then i think you're kind of going to be missing an essential element of it just by forcing i mean stuff can encourage things and i think that's fine uh, i think i think generally the huge that the idea that you shouldn't have a heel that is way higher than your toe makes sense to me i mean it seems like if, if we agree that we probably evolved running barefooted that the foot is pretty well designed for running and that we shouldn't mess too much with the angle that it strikes the ground because of our shoe or anything like that like some cushioning sure maybe that's valuable and i think it is in modern circumstances uh, but i don't know i tend to think that your foot your like a neutral is a good is a good thing for a shoe to be because it's neutral it's not forcing your foot to do anything special and what you shouldn't have is something that is i think the opposite of neutral something that where it is forcing your foot to do something that's not quite natural Right. So I don't know. What, what's your stance on all that? Yeah, I think that probably the best thing that came out of the minimalist craze a few years ago was hokas. Was hokas? Yeah, <laughs> no. Um, you know, was that all? Not all. Most shoe companies have shifted to at least provide some models that are lower heel to toe drop. Yeah. Um, you know, wider toe boxes. You know, a lot of these. A lot of shoes. I run in Hoka's that they're max cushion. They have tons of padding, but they're still low heel to toe. You know, they still have some of those minimalist elements to it. You know, something like ultras are all zero drop and have those, that massive toe box. And, you know, these type of shoes are are a lot more popular than that. You know, they were before they might not have even existed before. And, and they have some of those, those elements from the minimalist, you know, shoes, the, the five fingers, but without, but but by still providing a little cushion and support and protection. Right, right. Yeah, so I think, I mean, neutral generally, I think, refers, when it comes to running shoes, refers to whether or not there's posting on the inside of it that keeps you from overpronating. Right. Uh, so when you talk about neutral, it just means that there's not that, and, and it just lets you land in, in a normal, flat way. But that's, that's I think, more kind of talking laterally, and I'm not a running shoe expert by any means, so I could be misspeaking here, but I, I think when you say neutral, you're not really implying anything about the drop of the shoe from heel to toe. You're talking about sure. side to side. Yeah. So when I say a shoe should be neutral, I think if you can also be close to zero drop, I think that's along the same lines. That's neutral in its own way, right? That's neutral in a front to back way, right. which is right. not not the way that they use the word neutral in the running shoe industry. So don't get me wrong there. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, I thought that was confusing for me. No, no, I, it was. I think we just, you know, if you haven't ever heard of mm-hmm. these terms before, then it could be confusing. Yeah, I think personally, my personal opinion and. If you get injured because of this, it's I'm sorry. <laughs> is that everyone should be running a neutral shoe? That there, that no one should be running in a non-neutral shoe, even if you do overpronate. And I've I've been tempted to say that thing before, and I'm, I always feel like well, maybe I just don't know enough about someone who's 300 pounds. Like maybe I just don't really, yeah, know. But so I don't know if that's true or not. But um, but I've definitely had that thought before. Another thing I think, like we talked about ultras, we have an episode with uh, ultra founder Golden Harper. I don't know what episode that number is. I'll try to pull it up while I'm talking here. Um. But there, when we talk there about they they have this foot shaped 
shoe and, and the toe box is much larger so that your toes aren't jammed into something i think of that almost as as again not the way the running shoe industry uses the word neutral but that as another sort of thing where your shoe isn't forcing you to do anything it's not forcing your toes to be squeezed in the way most shoes running shoes and all regular shoes do too they sort of jam your toes into a way that is not the way your toes generally would go if they there was nothing constricting them right so i think that's another just in this sort of neutral way of thinking having having room for your toes to actually spread out is so it's just basically can you make it sort of like barefoot running like like if you didn't have a shoe on um but can you give us a little bit of cushioning yeah because we, you know, we need that we don't mm-hmm. we don't want to run on hard surfaces no it's episode 41 if, if anyone wants oh, to look that you. out yeah. yeah um but so i could see someone listening to this and saying well you're making all these arguments about neutral then why why have cushioning like that's that's you know anyone who's kind of into the whole barefoot movement would would make that argument they'd say well then well then why are you telling people you should have cushioning if all this other stuff should basically mimic what it's like to run without a shoe on and what's your answer to that doug <laughs> i you know we're running on hard services now we're running on things that we shouldn't be exposing our bare feet to um and and the cushioning just allows a little less impact and for me has been able to to keep me injury free and, and, and running better, you know, after a 50 mile run, if you're, if you don't have any cushioning, cushioning, then you're going to be feeling it a lot more than, right. than if you do. And of course there are people out there running in those Luna sandals and, and Vibrams and, and stuff with absolutely zero cushioning and doing just fine. And for them that's working. But for me, and I would say probably most people, you need a little bit more cushioning than, than those providers. Yeah, that's kind of my thing, too. Like, I, I for a while, I was into the whole minimalist thing, and I thought, you don't need any cushioning, and you're going to run differently and better without it. And then I did it for a while and would have sore calves and wake up at night with, with pains in my legs. And right. I just thought, you know, it just doesn't quite work for me. So having mm-hmm. some cushioning but still having zero drop does seem to work. So that's that's what I do now. And, I, it, you know, if you need a reason for that, I think, like you said, First of all, our services are different. People probably, I mean, certainly did not run on roads during the past couple hundred thousand years. They were running on plain. Which certainly, there were probably some hard ground too, that that wasn't all that unlike a road. But lots of varying surfaces and different things. And we're just not running on. A lot of people are just road runners, and they go out and run roads, and that's what they do. And it's the same step every time. And I think just from experience, like I know when I ran my hundred, when I had Hoka's on versus when I didn't how much better it felt on my foot. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that you should do all your training that way. I'm, you know, who knows if it does or not. Um, but but certainly in, in a targeted use like that, it made it made me way happier to have a lot of cushioning on than not during sure. a race like that. Absolutely. So uh, I think that more or less sums up our approach to running form. I, that, that's more about running form than I usually think, for sure. You guys <laughs> go out and run. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I think running form is is important and and good, and you know, like you said, it shouldn't be something you focus on all the time, or, or I don't think you necessarily need to focus on it all the time, but to check in on it regularly for a few minutes here and there is is gonna. Yeah, a lot of people they say things like, "Well, why do I need to learn how to run? I know how to run because I've been running since I was a kid." That's precisely the reason you need to learn how to run now is because we've all been running a certain way. Uh, before people were thinking about this with running shoes and what what modern running shoes might be doing to our form uh, or what modern running conditions like road running and just simply road running, not doing other stuff, what that might be doing to our form. Uh, so, you know, it's quite possible that we've unlearned the correct way to run. Uh, and, and you can really see this if you watch a kid run. They run differently from adults run, and it looks more like what a lot of people tell adults like they should be running. So. Right. Uh, I think, uh, you know, just because you think running is is self-explanatory and shouldn't need explanation, 
uh, I think it's worth thinking about your form sometimes. It's not something you need to obsess over, uh, and you probably shouldn't. If you do that, you'll probably end up doing things that, that aren't very natural. But uh, I think I think it's a mistake to think that because you know how to run and because running is easy for you to do, then you, you therefore you know what the form should be. Yeah. All right, that All wraps right. it up. Let's do it. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes, much appreciated. So if you like the show, uh, it's helpful. So please do it. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. All right, <laughs> bye. Bye.